Hello and welcome, dear listeners, to the next episode of Civis Pacha. Today is 9th of May, so the day when Russians celebrate their famous Victory Day. So today we want to discuss uh, how this day is celebrated today, how it was imprinted in history, and how the politics look like in the world after World War II. So welcome to the new episode of Civis Pachem, and it's a podcast about um, transatlantic security and international relations, also American foreign policy. Yes, sir. And today we discuss a bunch of topics uh, somehow connected to World War II, mm-hmm. or Great Patriotic War, as it's called in Russia. So 9th of May, my friend. 9th of May, and big day for Russians, I guess, uh, you know, just in general, big uh, day for Europe, probably. So how how should we think about World War II? Let's start with this simple question. Well, it's a very broad topic. I'm sure you can yeah. write an entire book about this. But on how we should think about World War II as the Europeans, and I think also as humanity, is as yeah. a terrible mistake mm-hmm. that should never happen again. So just, you know, learn from mistakes of the past and do not repeat your mistakes. Uh, but I think the important question is, uh, how should we deal with the controversies surrounding World War Two? Yes, the differences between nations and perceptions of what happened. So I think 9th of May is a very interesting example of that, uh, where it's yeah. the biggest, basically one of the biggest holidays in Russia, and mm-hmm. celebrating a great, great event from their history. While some people in Germany, especially a bit more conservative, or mm-hmm. uh, People who do not acknowledge that Germany was the sole, uh, the sole country that started World War Two might feel, you know, hmm, how do mm-hmm. you say it, discriminated or humiliated by celebrating. Yeah, exactly. I think humiliation yeah. would be a great word here. Uh, so, should we celebrate 9th of May? Being in Europe. I Being guess in, in Russia, there is, there is no question. It's a very clear answer. Not only Russia, it's post-Soviet space. I mean, there is like controversy in Ukraine because you know uh, this uh, commemoration commemoration event becomes politics, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and when it becomes politics, it becomes really controversial. I think there is nothing political in this event. Of course, like politicians, you know, like Putin, like his regime, they use this. I mean, event for their own gains, but I mean, we still should understand uh, the significance of this day, you know, for people, because so many people just died, you know, sacrificed their lives, and so many people, and so many families would never, like, just understand um, how many people, you know, died and were slaughtered in this war, and not only Russians, I mean, just the Soviet Union and Europeans and allies in general, how, you know, there was a big generational gap um, in terms of people just couldn't have, um, just because there were so many men, a lot of women after mm-hmm. the war. Yeah. I think we should celebrate. We need, I mean, it should, I, I don't really understand, you know, when people have this, uh, uh kind of the day that they celebrate the same way they celebrate new year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with a big pompous day, like, uh, fireworks and something like this, it should be more a day when you... Kind of go to uh, when you just commemorate people who died in this war. Mm-hmm. So it should be more like a trial day. Yeah, I think. You and know, that's how it's, on the past. 
Yeah, that's how it was actually in Soviet Union uh, after the World War II. And during even Soviet uh, Stalin times, it was uh, actually just not prohibited to talk about the war, but they didn't really celebrate it. They just mourned in terms of like the losses that they uh, suffered as a country together. And I guess that's, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a, lot, a lot of time passed and there's different approaches to it. But I guess in general, we just like just understand and uh, feel the history embedded in our, you know, culture and like just the print that World War Two has on us, on our system, on everything is so significant. We shouldn't, like, we couldn't and shouldn't ignore it, I would say like this. Mm, yes, I agree with you on this point, but I think we should also assume the perspectives of um, different nations. Yeah. Uh, as I already said, people in Germany might feel humiliated or offended by the mm -hmm. fact that some different country celebrates the anniversary of defeating your own country yeah. and, and fatherland. Especially showing their military exactly. equipment every year. Stuff every year. Uh, but also an interesting controversial topic is that the countries of the former Eastern Bloc that were forced to be yeah. part of the Eastern Bloc. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So my, my homeland of Poland, nobody would ever consider mm -hmm. celebrating this day. Because it's nobody would even consider uh, naming it liberation. Yeah, many people just you know say, oh yeah, basically one mm -hmm. oppression was substituted with the <laughs> other. So how would you consider this, uh, considering mm -hmm. the numerous crimes also committed by the Soviet Union? Yeah, I mean, of course, there's so many different perspectives on this, and we sh like we sh I mean, we couldn't have one opinion about you know the role of World War II in European history, and just because of the controversy how it started, you know, it's very hard actually to talk about this and just pinpoint. Like just pinpointing even my opinion for me it's a hard topic I guess I don't have like, just is. one one answer clear answer I think you know it's, I will never I, I would say nevertheless I would commemorate this day I guess maybe silently you know, you know just having a big celebration but just because you know they still this this thing uh, Soviet you know Soviet soldiers and I think about this is like soldiers you know not 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 government, not Soviet mm -hmm. Union, but people, you know, as some community, um, they kind of overcame this difficulty, they, you know, they beat fascism, and it was like purely, not initiative, but coming from people, not from the government. I mean, uh, actually, government made so many mistakes, you know, before the World War II, I mean, uh, started in Russia, um, and uh, I, I, th I feel Stalin... How I can put it, just was partially probably responsible for the consequences of the consequences of Great Patriotic War. Mm -hmm. They uh, completely they weren't prepared for this war, even though uh, intelligence uh, basically said that something you know wrong happening on the border. Yeah, and there would be invasion because he couldn't hide so many troops. <laughs> Uh, basically, and camouflage them. This, 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 it's not possible. And I mean, Soviet uh, intelligence was always good, so they, they just said, you know, we should be prepared. Uh, and Stalin believed in this uh, uh, friendship with Hitler. And when I think about, for example, how the war erupted, I guess uh, this, you know, it's all real politics, and you can, I, I blame real politics. Mm -hmm. And you can say that the Soviet Union suffered the most, you know, from its own geopolitics, just because yeah. it trusted in this union with Hitler, 
that kind of could like they they thought it would stop him from invading Soviet Union, but they were wrong, mm-hmm. and a lot of people suffered. But just because there's so much controversy and people have this, you know, image of Stalin as liberator in, in Russia at least, as like the guy who unified the country, which is completely bullshit, <laughs> I guess, because I mean the war unified the country. This is true, but not one person. I mean, this is personification of people in Russia, yeah. has a long history, and I mean, Putin also and like different politicians um, use it in Russia. So, like, just arguing that we need to have, you know, one centralized government and one person having um, total authority over people. But, I mean, to the point, I guess, yeah. I went far ahead. No I guess, worries. I mean, I understand. People people have different opinions. So, I understand when people in Poland would say, well, well you know, uh, this is tricky for us. <laughs> yes, but, uh, you know, I think many countries... Uh, it's hard to say that all, all the countries who are on the Allies' side always did good things. Yeah, because as you as we said before, Soviet Union also had a part in starting World War Two, and also Poland had a part in cooperating with mm-hmm. Hitler before the start yeah. of World War Two. It's all real politics, as you said. Uh, so I think the way that we should commemorate second of May is ninth uh, of May. Sorry, is just to remember I mean, exactly the people who suffered. Eighth of May or ninth of May, it doesn't really doesn't matter. matter. It's just it's, symbolic. It's, it's really symbolic, and, and... Uh, I think we just we should just you know remember the people who suffered. Because yeah. it doesn't matter which state started the war, which state was the most uh, the most responsible. People suffered all over the world, and I think yeah. we should remember this especially. Yes. I mean, I mean, like for this, yeah. yeah, like cheers, cheers to that exactly. Yeah, this is a good <laughs> toast. <laughs> yes, this is true, and also people should not fight over. Like this history, you know, there is like this big, like not debate, but they issued statements. I mean, American government and Russian government issued statements, and in their statement they both like say something like, uh, "Well, this uh, we Americans who you know liberated Europe, and then Russians say, well, no, that's we Russians who liberated Europe.' You know, this is stupid. You know, this is stupid because that should in our you know in our memory this should unify us as nations, as nations, as European nations." as part of something bigger than like our nations, as part of some uh, global community. And the thing is, now it only splits them because of the, like, because of many things. But this is, I guess, how do you feel about this? You know, all this uh, uh, wars over memory, who liberated who and all this stuff. I think it's, again, just politics, you know. Yeah. It's, it's uh, history and politics should not go together in any case, but unfortunately they yeah. do. And they will, uh, and it will not change. So uh, every country wants to see themselves as the good guys, mm, and yep. every country wants to know the world that hey, mm-hmm. we are the best. We are the best and mm-hmm. good guys. So Russia has their own narrative of being the sole liberators. And don't yep. get me wrong, Russia suffered the most, and mm-hmm. Soviet Union suffered the most. Yeah. Uh, and the effort to beat the Nazi Germany was absolutely huge on yep. their part. But we also have to remember that possibly they would not have able to, they would not have been able to dis- defeat the, the Nazi Germans without American mm-hmm. and British support and materials and supplies yeah. etc. So it's all an overlapping uh, you know mechanism and yeah. saying that one of the nations played a bigger part than the other yeah. is just stupid because first of all it doesn't serve anything mm-hmm. in modern days 
it just deepens the divide. And uh, it's just simply not true. It was a you know a group effort. Yeah, it should it, sh- it should unify us. That's how it should be. I guess everyone should have it like uh, his like her own personal narrative about this. I mean, it's also hard to like to think about, for example, Polish families who suffer from Katyn. Yeah, and you know you, you discuss with them World War Two, and they have their different opinion. You get a little bit mad at them, but. I mean, you should understand that they have different perspectives just because history was very different for yeah, them. Exactly, the but, you know, I think also it's about the acceptance and denial because, for example, look at you know uh, Polish and German cooperation nowadays. Mm-hmm. That you know the two countries are huge business partners and co- collaborating in uh, the European mm-hmm. Union, etc. And at the same time, mm-hmm. Russia and Poland are the biggest enemies right yes. now. Poland considers Russia the biggest threat to its sovereignty. And yeah. that's the biggest opponent in the region, and I think it still has a lot of to a lot to do with history because you mm-hmm. know Germany like took the blame and accepted that they mm-hmm. started World War Two and um, issued formal apologies for everything, and yeah, Soviet Union also did that after the dissolution of the Soviet mm-hmm. Union. But you know, there's this like sort of a return to this you know denial politics yeah. in Russia. Like saying, you know, oh, no, we did not start World War II. Um, and don't get me wrong, Polish government does this as well. And, yeah. you know, they do not, they do not yeah, agree that... Both very biased. Yeah, it's all pretty biased. And I think if all countries just, you know, accepted that, yeah, we all did bad things and we apologized and we promised not to ever do it again, I'm sure yeah. cooperation should, you know, would prevail. Would prevail, exactly. Yeah, true. Um, so let's let's just... And I, I mean, I feel, I feel really worried about Germany because of AfD. It's still mm. gaining uh, power. It's biggest, you know, opposition party right now in parliament. And I mean, position of AfD is just we shouldn't commemorate. And it's, it's a shame, you know, to be kind of like to have to bear these consequences of war still, uh, you know, mentally as well as, well as just uh, all this historically. And like this narrative is just is a shame for us. I feel like really bad about this just because, I mean, I'm also like biased in this. I mean, we are all biased, of course, and I'm, I'm, I'm as a Russian. I feel this is just simply wrong in a way that you should, you know, preserve this uh, um, memory over what you did just because it was, uh, it's uh, so many atrocities involved and just calamities that, you know, were caused by Nazism and just that uh, Reich. It was like, you couldn't like just see how you can overcome this and say, well, Let's just drop it and let's go forward, you know. I feel it, it should be the narrative of, like, German government. And I feel like, you know, living in Germany, I feel really safe that they have this narrative. Otherwise, I don't know, uh, I would probably face some Nazis on the street. Well, if you go to certain districts yeah. of Berlin, you will still face them. But they're a minor- minority, for sure. And they're not supported by, you know, government. Yeah, uh, which is, like... They're I, basically they're, illegal. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, I totally get what you mean, and I think they're, what Germany is doing is just, you know, perfect, because they are, maybe not perfect in every way, but they uh, agree that their history had dark moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think that sometimes they prefer too much to forget about it, about it than to speak about it, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe this should change, but uh, I think it's way better than as, yeah. as if Germany was, you know, revisionist about their stance and, and history and i mean they pretty much overcame this and they move forward you know they don't really concentrate on the past uh, yes, so much that's actually pretty maybe beneficial. what makes them unique right now in europe they don't really concentrate on their past because it was so 
bad, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so to speak, and you know they just move forward and. And I also think, like you know, a personal note for myself when I came here to Germany, I realized that people know nothing about, uh, maybe not nothing, but very little about their history families. Like they would know, okay, yeah, my my grandparents were born this and this year, and they mm-hmm. did this and that, but they know no details. I mean, this was a cultural shock for me because in Poland you ask basically anybody, and they would have you know some information. Oh yeah, my great grandmother did this and this, and fought in this and this war, and I'm so proud of them. Blah blah blah. And this gave me a reflection. Well, maybe you know Germany is so successful because they do not dwell on the past at all. They just yeah. look forward, not backwards. They don't talk about the past. This is true because it's a little bit. Um, there is a shame involved in all these past discussions, I guess. And I mean, just I guess young people, but they also there is a trend. You know, young people start forgetting about stuff that happened in the past, and because you don't discuss things properly, probably even if it's painful, you, you still maybe need to discuss it, you know, need to somehow um, just consider what happened with Germany. Yeah, yeah I think that the German narrative sometimes is too, um, how to say, general. It's like saying, yeah, Germany was bad in World War Two. they were evil, okay, let's move along to the next topic. And there are no yeah. details which sort of makes this, some Germans not I mean, understand the suffering of different nations. They're a little bit more concrete uh, with the Jews' narrative, I would yes, say. Yes, that's true. You know, that's true. Building memorials, and we know this famous uh, memorial in Berlin, which is like a big, um, like massive uh, land in the center, just, uh, uh, just um, were given to German authorities just like to have like this Jewish memorial. And something is like, yeah, it's a different policy in terms of probably commemoration of World War Two, but yeah, I guess let's uh, let's move to some other topic. Sure. Uh, pretty much covered this one. I guess we did. And I guess let's and this this is very connected, I guess, topic. So we still live in the post World War Two world, mm-hmm. post World War Two system, because there were no big shocks in the system that occurred after that. Maybe the one shock that happened was like the demise of Soviet Union, but this still didn't really change the system fundamentally. Mm-hmm. It changed maybe distribution of power, but it didn't change uh, the system itself. We still live in this world, and I guess uh, that's why it's probably it is probably important to remember this day, just because to understand that you know peace is not perpetual, and we should all face new wars in the future or other bad things. You know that we. Like, never think about this as pandemic, for example. (laughs) So, uh, how do you feel, like, in conjunction with uh, the world system and world politics about World War II? Well, I think it relates um, somehow to the notion of, you know, uh, the end of history that uh, appeared by Fukushima. Uh, Fukuyama, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, uh, and he basically uh, he basically said that it will be mm-hmm. the end of history after the dissolution of the Soviet yes. Union because there's now forces of evil of, or you know um, different things to overcome, and we still live in this world because he might have been partially right, but he basically thought about some great uh, changes that will happen mm-hmm. just you know from one day to the other, like a great war. Or something like this. Yeah. But now we see changes that take place gradually. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the rise of China. It did not happen overnight. It 
was happening for over like the last 20 years. Yeah. And the crisis with the virus that we have now might be an amplifier, but yes. it did not start the process. It just you know, no. it was a catalyst for the entire process. That's true. But also, I guess, uh, I think this is the good example. You know, Fukuyama is a good example of how they promote certain ideas, even in terms of academia. So, when, I mean, when you talk about social sciences, you should understand there is no truth. It's not like natural sciences. There is like, yeah. just simply no truth. There is like different opinions. You back up your opinions with different arguments. But, you know, in the time of uh, Fukuyama, this was, was Mirshaima writing the same stuff as he writes now, no, not, like, not very differently, and he kind of predicted everything, you know, in terms of this is just wrong narrative that's the end of history just because the world is more complex and there's, like, you know, great power competition, the tragedy of great power competition that never ends. It's going gonna, it's gonna to reveal itself somehow, and now we see, yeah, I mean, it actually revealed, you know, with Russia and China, it's becoming way more and more dangerous to live in this world in terms of... Because they just have this competition over everything right now. It feels like there's so few points where they cooperate. Like, uh-huh. almost almost none. Almost none. We still have, you know, nuclear cooperation between, like, Russia and the US is the only thing that we still have. And we have... I mean, we have still we have economic kind of cooperation between China and the US. But after pandemic, it's really uncertain. Really, really answer. Yes, it is. And uh, we still live in this post-war II world because we still have the international organizations mm-hmm. in place that were instituted after World War II. Uh, uh, but I feel this might change, not overnight, but gradually. Yeah. As I said, with the rise of China and how the U.S. is withdrawing from many of those uh, mm-hmm. you know, international organizations set up after World War II, uh, the... I think the international regime might change in the next 20, 30, 50 years, yeah. very, very starkly. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's already changing. There's like a process involved. And I guess the problem of, of international organizations, in particular the UN, is just it doesn't work, it's not functional. People go there, argue, and just because they have like these five powers, which like four of them both like are European, and it doesn't really reflect like redistribution of power mm-hmm. because, you know, India has a bigger economy than Great Britain. Um, so it doesn't really work so well because no one wants to change it. And it's just like they all have veto powers and they just all argue about stuff and they just veto each other. And sometimes, yeah. I mean, the US, when it had power, it didn't really require um, the UN just because it knew it going to face some challenges there. Um, so I guess... Uh, just the U.S. like acted very unilaterally afterwards, just because it kind of was on this wave of Pax Americana. Yeah, you know, it was dominant to do so. Yes, and now it's gradually changing because, first of all, like the U.S. Like, kind of like doesn't really want to be involved in the world as much as it, as it used to be. But there is still, you know, big debate about South China Sea because it's like so many actors involved, people kind of trying to pull America in this war and just like say, well, we should be more present in South China Sea. Same in Europe. Yeah. Um, You know, all these troops, all these like big maneuvers, big um, military exercises. All this, of course, puts a situation just at risk. And yeah, you know, we didn't have any kind of ceasefire uh, during this pandemic, and mm-hmm. they tried to they tried to do it. I guess like the US and Russia blocked it. No surprise, how it happens every time. Conflict <laughs> is still going on. Yeah, and um, I guess it's important to discuss this proposal. You know, it's in in January 2021. We have uh, the last kind of nuclear agreement 
um, fading away, so to speak. It's a yes. new start, the biggest arms control agreement, I guess, in terms of nuclear weapons. And it's fading away. The U.S. kind of indicates that it's going to just, uh, you know, defect from the agreement. So and no, no, no renewal, right? Won't renew it because, like, now they don't require the Senate um, vote, so we just can renew it on the level of presidents. Um, and they don't want to do it, and they want to involve somehow China in this trilateral, and then they want to create this trilateral arms control agreement, mm -hmm. which is stupid just because you look at numbers, you see, you know, China has 200-something, 70, 90, I don't really remember, but... A lot. No, not a lot. I mean, it's way less than, you know, Russia and the US have, mm -hmm. like, way less uh, warheads. And somehow they just want to bring China to the agreement. I mean, it's a good idea because the U.S. is really worried about all these new technologies uh, arising, all these asymmetries in power in terms, in terms of you don't really need to have, you know, such a big fleet. Right now, it's just enough to have a couple of very advanced missiles to hit them, you know. Uh, it's all changing and they really feel, I guess, feared just because like their American military machine is in, it's losing its power and they want to have an agreement with China, but this is not the good way to do it just because it, like the only agreement between Russia and the US is this new start agreement and after that, I don't know, there's going to be new arms race and this is unpredictable. Yeah, it's the part of this gradual change and I think it's important to remember that all big change in the international regime or system that happened in history they were all gradual. Let's say yeah. the era between the Napoleonic Wars and World War One. People say that World War One was just you know just bomb that exploded and blew up the old system, but it's not really true. You had many events that led to the uh, to the transformation yes. of the system, and World War One was just you know the nail in the coffin to yeah. uh, to burying the old you know Treaty of Versailles system. And the same thing, true. our system after World War Two is already seventy five years old. Today, yeah. basically, becomes 75 years old. And, you know, the, the previous system, which was, you know, between Napoleonic Wars and World War One, lasted 100 years. So, mm -hmm. who knows, maybe it's time for an overhaul of the system. Yeah, and I mean, it's inevitable. Uh, sooner or later, um, it, it's going to happen. And we, of course, kind of uh, can now... We are living in this time. And this is, I mean, at, at one, at, uh, on the one hand, it's historical. On the other, it's a little bit frightening, I guess, because you never know. Uncertainty is frightening. Yes, you never know uh, what's going to happen next, and things that happen now between all these great powers are pretty uh, disturbing in terms of... They really... I mean, it looks like they're really kind of like... They're ready to fight with each other, conventionally, not even... Not, not, not without even nukes, you know, just because they have like big military budgets, they invest a lot of money in military, and they have good military, <laughs> and they yep. just need to use it just because, you know, when military exists, there should be some function to it. It should, it should fight one day, <laughs> probably. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully not, but uh, the situation... I mean, but then we, have, we should have some kind of cooperation that binds, you know, them together and doesn't, like, um, prevents them from escalating situation. Because right now, situation is, uh, like, escalates, is escalating and there is no end to escalation. I mean, it looks like this, there is no end to escalation. And of course, the only hope can be some new Gorbachev, I mean, on the American side, because, I mean, American presidents are just hate Russia, you know, just generally. Yeah. And they're very biased and uh, they couldn't, I mean, they, 
when it comes to China, they think, you know, like real politics, but when it comes to Russia, they think pretty much, oh, I mean, we don't, we shouldn't recognize Russia as power. Yeah, it's very no ideological. Way. Yeah, this is, and this is a big, probably big mistake. We'll see, I guess, in the future, right? Mm-hmm. So the last topic, um, I guess, let's discuss Germany and this Germany. big debate right now in Germany. For people who don't follow, I guess the situation is, I guess you can, you can, Tell us a little bit about technical sides. So they they want to replace the tornados. Yeah. So uh, and what's I mean I still couldn't understand what's uh, how is this technological like te- technical issue. So they want to replace it with F-18s and um, Euro fighters. I guess yep. 50 50 percent. So I guess the debate is that they they won't have a possibility to carry nuclear weapons. Or what's what's the problem with this? So the problem with the Euro fighters are is that. This those planes are not nuclear certified, mm-hmm. so they don't have the basically the hardware to okay. uh, to have nuclear weapons mounted and to deploy them in combat, uh, which usually are tactical nukes employed on such planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem is that well, NATO also relies on their nuclear arsenal, and yep. right now the planes in the German fleet that are capable of using nuclear weapons are the tornadoes. But those planes are aging and slowly reaching the end of its service life, so the so the Germans need to look for a replacement. Mm-hmm. And the two possibilities are uh, either to buy a plane from a different country, which mm-hmm. uh, which has the capability to use nukes, or uh, develop a new version of the Eurofighter, which is a cooperation project between many uh, European countries, and add the possibility to use nukes. Yeah. Uh, but this would require, you know, redesigning of the plane and, you know, striking deals with different partners. Yes. So the easier way would be just to buy new planes from the U.S. Mm-hmm. So the uh, idea here is to buy the Hornets, mm-hmm. which are nice uh, successors to the Tornadoes because they're multi-role fighters mm-hmm. uh, capable of ground strikes and air missions. And the Eurofighter is more of a, you know, interceptor fighter, more for... Uh, keeping control of your own skies and mm-hmm. the missions that it does to support troops on the ground okay. are, you know, uh, just supplementary. Mm-hmm. So um, basing the entire fleet on the on the Eurofighters would be just a bad idea. Okay. And this is this is where mm-hmm. politics come in. Uh, Germany decided to buy some Eurofighters and some uh, some mm-hmm. Hornets. And the problem is that it seems that the Ministry of Defense made this decision without consulting the coalition coalition members in the government, mm-hmm. which pissed mm-hmm. off some of the coalition members yeah. of the government in Germany. Uh, and the coalition is quite shaky right now, right? Yes, I guess uh, the politics in Germany is... Uh, I mean, the whole coalition is falling apart. I mean, CDU and the uh, um, uh, SPD coalition is falling apart, socialists with conservatives, I guess because socialists just... Are losing popularity in Germany because they just you know uh, follow this uh, CDU, uh, CDU politics. Mm-hmm. So they follow conservative politics and they kind of losing their so to speak agenda, you know, socialist agenda. And now, I mean, because we have uh, Anna Kram Krambau, she's she's from uh, SPD and Heiko Maas also from SPD, and people who actually to foreign policy there from SPD and they try to you know because there's so because like their decision to replace without um, consulting with the party also uh, like uh, had like consequences 
for the party itself just because it's so split right now and it like SPD is not really sure what kind of like like role uh, they should play in German politics mm -hmm. and it all comes to you know elections that are pretty close it's like in, next year and yeah I mean I don't really I guess like the problem is that um, socialists like their constituency, constituency of socialists is not really satisfied with this decision just because they don't really want to have nukes on their soil especially American nukes you know that not like kind of under control really I think so. I mean, there is no, there is like a big debate uh, to what extent they control them, but I don't know. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like any country would give up. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just a yeah. No country would give up yeah. control of their own nukes to. That's true. Um, anyway. So, and the whole thing becomes really political because if socialists, you know, um, will have any kind of coalition, for example, with Greens and conservatives going to lose their power to probably have there. It all comes to the question if Germany won't have any kind of plans that carry this uh, nukes. It all comes to the question of German participation in uh, NATO. Mm -hmm. Just because they, you know, before that nukes kind of grant Germany special stages. You know, it's, 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 it has another stage. I mean, in terms of when you still have nukes, it kind of, you feel maybe way more protected. But now, if they won't have any news, there is a question why they need NATO, probably, you know, or maybe... Yeah, I think after the, uh, you know, the main flank of NATO moved east after the inclusion of the new yeah. countries, Germany does not feel such pressure to be such a, you know, big mm -hmm. player in NATO. So this future is shaky. Yes, and I guess Germany is a big proponent of arms control, and it's like the whole situation with arms control is very bad. And Germany is in UN Security Council right now; is not permanent member, but they really propose uh, to you know somehow stabilize and normalize relationships with Russia and with arms control. And the problem is uh, the US doesn't really want it; it doesn't really. Um, uh, pay attention to Germans like Germany's views uh, on this issue and this is also like a bargaining chip way like well if you don't listen to us as you know partners and you know NATO is based on somehow like like this coalition system there is no like like true hegemon even you know who is true hegemon but it still <laughs> should be consensual partnership and you don't listen to us well maybe we should consider like you know quitting NATO in the future this is probably the reality and Germany is a pretty powerful country, it doesn't really need, you know, um, probably NATO, it can probably pretty much ally with France, which has... Yeah, first of all, Germany has no threats to their sovereignty around. Yeah. No, no, I, I cannot see any of the neighbors of Germany and conducting military operations against Germany. Germany could have good relationship with Russia. We have a lot of contacts. I mean, Russia, yeah. the US... Uh, Germany, Russian. Well, the projects like the Nord Stream, you know, yeah. gas pipes, they show that Germans and Russians can cooperate, no problem. And they have, you know, easy access to Russian elite just because of the history and uh, Eastern Germany uh, being the part of socialist world. Yeah, like, you know, like Otto Bismarck used to say that the basis for the power of Germany is an alliance with Russia. Oh, yeah, but this was a long time ago. <laughs> well, is uh. it? I mean, many I guess, people, many people criticized Hitler exactly for the same thing. But well, he did not follow. They, critis yeah. they criticized German governments before World War One that they went to war mm -hmm. with Russia. They criticized German government okay. World War Two that they went to war with <laughs> Russia. You know, I think some ideas last longer Still than last. a century. Okay, 
but there is definitely the truth is like Europe, sh uh, Russia should be involved in somehow common security initiatives and like European security initiative because it's part of Europe. I mean, like physically, not only and I mean just ideologically, it's still part of Europe and they share just similar. Yeah, but Russian credibility after actions against Georgia and Ukraine. Yeah, are, well, the credibility is not too big. Yeah, but this this is a tough question. It's, it comes again to real politics. To what extent? To what extent they value so much, for example, Ukraine over security uh, space, like true yes, security space. Yes, this is space, true as well. You yeah, know, because you don't really want to mess still with with such a big military. And for example, if something happens with American commitment to Europe, then Europe can feel pretty threatened by if if, if it continues like this aggressive politics against Russia. Mm -hmm. Which won't be the case. I I mean, probably. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it. I think this is it for now. That was pretty long episode. Yeah, so stuff to discuss. So thanks for listening to us. As always. Yeah, subscribe to our channel. We have like now YouTube channel. Yes, we did that recently. Yes, Spotify. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. You can participate with us in different discussions on Twitter. Really encourage you to do this and. Yeah, yeah, stay yeah. tuned. Stay tuned. Goodbye. Goodbye.